I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we aren't afraid to do things different. <laughs> there she is, ladies and gentlemen, my beautiful wife, Rebecca Bishop. I am Aaron Bishop, and we are here today with Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So yeah, Ecclesiastes, it is. it has so far, we've only been through one chapter, and we've been through the intro. What are your thoughts on it so far? The word futile comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it, it actually has passed before my eyes many times in the uh, <laughs> in going through this. Yes, vaporous, futile. We saw last week how Solomon had looked through all the cycles of, of the world. And he saw that the cycles continue. Life, death, years, days, weeks, months, the water cycle, so on and so forth. So this week, as I was contemplating last week, so one of the things that really stuck out to me in this bit about the cycles is the idea that we kind of see God in these cycles. Explain what you mean. The cycles, especially like the yearly cycles, the day cycles, just the ways that things work, even things like pi or Euler's number or phi ratio. Mm -hmm. they're, they're numbers that can never really be pinned down. Right. The cycle of the moon. Like we can know the cycle of the moon, but when you actually get down to how many days is the moon cycle, it's... 29.53 with some repeating number. How yeah. long is a day? Well, it's not exactly 24 hours. It's 23 hours and 59 minutes and some seconds that, that has... And we actually have to, every few years, add a leap Change second. The calendar. Right. Same yeah. thing with the calendar. It's not exactly 365 days. It's over 365 days, which is why we have to have a leap year every four years. And in this, I think we kind of get a glimpse of God and how he works in our world. That he's unknowable. He's knowable, but he's also unknowable. Mm -hmm. We can know him. We can know him through his word, through a relationship with him, through interaction with his people. We, we can get to know who God is, but we're never going to reach the bottom of that barrel. Right. He's al there's always going to be some extra aspect of him that we can't quite comprehend. Right, right. He is completely unknowable, and yet he is knowable. And, and it's so similar to these cycles. And I know that doesn't really fit into the overall theme of Ecclesiastes, especially in the trying to, you know, everything's futile and the cycles kind of point to it. And it's just such a profound thought in my mind to to really try to grasp hold. God is knowable, just like pi is knowable. To a degree. To a degree. <laughs> to a degree. Nobody knows pi. E even today, there are computers still just crunching away on numbers. They've passed the trillionth digit a decade ago and they're still going it's a number that just does not end and, it, and it's not even a repeating number it's an irrational number it has no detectable pattern to its pattern i love that that concept of irrational 
Because when we think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's that knowledge. It's that I can decide for myself what is right, what is good, what is, you know. And it completely flipped the world on its head mm. and made everything that is good and right in God's frame of reference completely opposite for us. I mean, a savior comes as someone who's going to die. Right. Um, if you want to be highest in the kingdom, you must be the least of all. Mm, right. These, these irrational concepts, that's who we serve. That is the God of the Bible. Right. This completely irrational being. Yeah, his ways are so upside down when we try to compare them to our ways and the things that we think are the way to do things and the we, things that we hold high. Yeah. They're they're so uh, so different. They're so his ways are truly not our ways. Yeah. And higher than our ways. Right. It's just something that really just came to me as I was re thinking about Ecclesiastes one last week after we'd done finished recording, and I just kind of wanted to to bring that out and to kind of highlight this idea that God's unknowable and yet He is knowable, and we, as Romans one says, that we catch a glimpse of Him in creation, and He works in cycles. So we see that we see that in everything. There's cycles to everything, and Solomon picks up on that in his mm -hmm. wisdom. He leverages it towards something else. But he notices it and he recognizes that this is how the world works. And in that, I think we catch a glimpse of God. Yeah, it's beautiful. This week he's going to get into examining more of the physical aspects. I'm going to transition some from the the ephemeral, the, the cycles that we all experience. And he's going to examine the possessions. Yeah, this week he builds things for himself. He has all these possessions and they're not worthwhile. And then he amasses all the wisdom and the brilliance he can, and that's not worthwhile. Right. He's just kind of pursuing every single avenue of the human experience and seeing what is it worth. Right. Yeah, and he's going to uh, land on a couple of things that he does find worth in and joy in this week, which is going to be beneficial for us because we could read this and really get that that nihilistic uh, mentality that, you know, nothing is worthwhile and that we all just, just might as well end it now because there's nothing worth it. There's, the, life has, yeah, life has mm -hmm. no meaning. But we're actually going to see this week, it, already just chapter two, we're going to see him come to at least one conclusion of something that is good. We're also going to find a, a word this week that's used only two times in all of scripture. And those two times are both in this chapter back to back. And the differences in interpretation in that are actually interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a, uh, my, my translation has one and Rebecca's translation, the TLV, has a different one. So this week, because we're doing something different, Rebecca is going to be reading from her translation for the Bible portion. So listen along as we open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And uh, you're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 1. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So we're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 1, kind of set the stage for chapter 2. And uh, so here it is, ladies and gentlemen. So I applied my heart to know wisdom, as well as to know madness and folly. 
I learned that this, too, was pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom comes much grief, and whoever keeps increasing knowledge increases heartache. I said within myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to see what is good. Yet behold, this, too, was meaningless. I said of laughter, It is madness, and of pleasure, What does it accomplish? I thought deeply about how to cheer my flesh with wine, letting my heart guide me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly so that I could see what was worth while for the sons of men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my possessions, I built myself houses, and I planted myself vineyards. I made royal gardens and parks for myself, and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I constructed for myself pools of water to irrigate a forest of flourishing trees. I purchased male and female servants, and had other servants who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than all my predecessors in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, as well as the treasure of kings and the provinces. I acquired male and female singers for myself, as well as the luxuries of humankind, vaults and vaults of them. So I became far wealthier than all before me in Jerusalem, yet my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I withheld from my heart no enjoyment. My heart took delight in all my toil. This was my reward for all my labor. Yet when I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended to accomplish it, behold, it was all futile and chasing after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what more can the one who succeeds the king do than what he has already done? I realized that wisdom is more beneficial than folly, as light is better than darkness. A wise man has his eyes in his head, while the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also came to realize that the same destiny befalls them both. Then I said in my heart, I, even I, will have the same destiny as a fool. So why have I become so wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise men together with the fool is not remembered forever. For in the days to come, both will be forgotten." Alas, the wise, just like the fool, must die. And so I hated life, because the work done under the sun was grievous to me. All is but vapor and chasing after the wind. I also hated all the fruit of my toil for which I had labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. Who knows if he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master over all the fruit of my toil, for which I had wisely labored under the sun." This, too, is futile, so I turned my heart over to despair over all the things for which I had toiled under the sun. For sometimes a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill must hand over as an inheritance to someone who did not work for it. This also is futile and a great misfortune. For what does a man get for all his toil and longing of his heart for which he labors under the sun? For all his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This also is futility. There is nothing better for people than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in their labor. This too, I perceived, is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have joy apart from him? For to the one who pleases him he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and accumulating wealth to give to the one who pleases God.
This also is only vapor and striving after the wind. All right, so chapter two. Last week, as he ended those last few verses of chapter one, he says that he is determined to know folly, to know madness and folly, to, I guess, provide a control in, in some way to this experiment that he's running on what is the meaning of life. And then in even in verse two of chapter two, he says, I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? He's pursuing absolutely every single aspect of the human emotional expression. Right. And I think that the madness or the laughter and the rejoicing and the, I think that's part of him examining the folly, being the fool, you know, the just going out, being drunk, just laughing it up and having, just doing the YOLO experience, experiencing life, experiencing pleasure and just, uh, going out and doing it all. He's, like you said, he's experiencing it all. But I think that we could put these things that he's attempting under either expressions of wisdom or expressions of folly. Well, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I don't think that experiencing emotions and experiencing all of these different emotions is necessarily folly. No, but you have to consider Solomon's situation as a king. What does a king have? A king has a jester. He has a court fool. The king doesn't just laugh and go down to the bar and the tavern and laugh, you know, just get drunk with the boys. He has he has entertainers. He has performers. He has people that come before him to to do foolish things. And that's where he finds his joy and his break from the duties of the kingdom. Well, we do see that he says later that I had uh, male and female singers and stuff like that, right. too. So, yeah. Right. So I, I think his expressions of laughter and joy and and all of this, they're, they're part of experiencing the foolishness of others through pratfalls and jokes and, and song and, and uh, acrobatics and whatever else that, you know, people might have brought before him as, as entertainment. And, you know, it's, it's foolishness. It's people being foolish. It's people doing foolish things. You know, acrobats, they're flipping over their heads that he falls, he's going to crack his head open. He's a fool. The song, the, the singer, it's beautiful. It's joy. It brings joy to your heart. Maybe not necessarily foolish, but I'm sure some of the songs that came before him were quite <laughs> foolish. You know, probably the, uh, there were there sure. witty songs and things like that, trying to make him him laugh. The the jester, the the wit, you know, mm-hmm. the one right. whose whole job is to be a comedian and in his comedy to kind of tell the truth, to point out to the king folly of others. The, the, yeah, the folly of the people he's surrounded with, or the of truth the of the people of he's surrounded with, in a comedic way, in a way that's. That's going to... Roasting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I kind of see that as the role to speak truth to power, because comedy is the one area that can do that. So when he speaks of, you know, I, I said of laughter, it's madness. And I said of rejoicing, well, what does it, what what good does it do? Um, you know, we know in our medical world that well, it actually does good to laugh. You know, yeah. laughter is the best medicine. That's not just a saying. It actually does good things. It oxygenates your blood. It, it, it wakens up your brain. It, On a very real level, it is health. Right. It, it provides health to a person. So, yeah. So then he searched his heart and how to stimulate his body with wine while guiding his heart with wisdom. Uh, yeah. Um, mine says, I thought deeply how to cheer my flesh with wine. And I'm going, this is like the wine connoisseur. This is not just like, let me go get a, the cheapest bottle at the Bilo. No, this is like, I have you know, storehouses of, you know, vintage wine, yeah, aged wine and oak barrels and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like 
he thought deeply <laughs> like well, that. Uh, I like uh, that well. phrase. <laughs> but it does definitely give you that kind of concept of like he wasn't just let me go get smashed, but it was like It was for science. Yeah, it was it was this <laughs> well, maybe that's the pursuit of life that I need to pursue. And no, that Well, let me at least experience it just to know. kind of understand it and to see if there's value in this. How can I know if there's value if I haven't tried it? Mm-hmm. Type mentality. Which is dangerous, quite it, it frankly. It can be extremely dangerous. And we see it happen to Solomon. Mm-hmm. He, he succumbs to some very dangerous things in the book of First Kings. A lot of the things that he, he did were in, it goes out, the, the text goes out of its way to point out he is not doing what the Torah says he should be doing. Well, the very fact that every single thing that a king is supposed to do, exactly. he did the opposite of. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, and so, you know, he experienced the wine, but then he goes, starting in verse four, he begins to list off all of these possessions that he's acquired. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I can find value in my possessions. Maybe these are worth something. If I can, if I can collect every single Pokemon card there is, <laughs> if I can get every back issue of Superman or action comics, if I can get that Babe Ruth rookie card, it'll be complete. You know, he's, he's, it's almost like he's acting like a collector in some ways. Mm-hmm. And we see that in uh, first Kings as well, that he, he has all these wonderful things, peacocks and lions and all, he's got a zoo, a menagerie. Right. And then he just, Part of his shows it off to the Queen of Sheba. He shows it off right. to all of these other kingdom kingdoms as if like, look at me, look at all I have amassed. Right, he does that, and but in his in the back of his mind, you know he's sitting there going, This is stupid. It's I, all it's it's all show. You almost in a in a weird sort of way, you almost wonder. You know that feeling when you kind of feel like maybe you're a fraud? Mm, Yes. Like, I'm showing all of these things because I want to put on this front that I've got it all together and I know what I'm doing. Right. And yet, deep down you go, "Mm, I'm I'm really just a fraud. I really don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know why I'm here or what I'm doing or any of that. I'm intimately aware with that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, I've felt that many times in my life. Well, that's me in homeschool. Oh, right. I definitely feel that way with homeschooling (laughs) the kids. Oh, my goodness. And yet you're doing an amazing job. So uh, in this list, he's got all these things that he's listing, but there's one, there's one verse that kind of stuck out to us because when Rebecca read it in her translation, and when I read it in my translation, they don't say the same thing at all. Verse eight. Verse eight. So it says, "I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces." I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Now, that's the ESV that I just read. Do you notice how that's different from Rebecca's translation? Go ahead and read that last part. As well as the luxuries of humankind, vaults and vaults of them. Vaults and vaults of them. Now, I'm going to read the ISR where it says, I provided male and female singers for myself and the pleasures of men, a woman and women. Yeah, that those are some very, very different, different translations, <laughs> very different words going on wow. here. What is going on here? Well, guess what? That is the word 
Shida. It's uh, Strong's H7703. Only used twice, only found two times right here in this verse, and it's back to back. Shida va Shidot. So it's a singular and a plural, connected by an and. This word is translated as a concubine, a wife, or a harem. But if you go to Strong's Exhaustive, it says that it's uh, all sorts of musical instruments. Okay. Um, or a wife, as in a mistress of the house. Okay. But then if you look at its root word, which is shadad, it means to deal violently with, to despoil, to devastate, to ruin or spoil. What? Right. The, the root word is to be utterly ruined, to assault or to devastate something. And if you look at the root words, uh, expanded meaning, it means burly, uh, powerful, uh, impregnable by implication to ravage. And that's where I think they get the idea of women. I, I don't get why this is how it's translated as a wife or a concubine. Now, there was a, another, where was it? There was somewhere else as I was doing some research on this word where it was talking about that it is treasure chests or yeah. it's coffers or. Yeah, and we, we know that up before. And yeah, and we that. know Solomon had both of those. Uh, he had treasures, he had women. And I guess the translators kind of did their best that they could with this violently despoiling or devastating. How does that even fit with what's being said? I had, uh, I mean, let's read it. Uh, let's read it in context. All right, so I'm going to translate the Hebrew here as best as I can. So I got singers who sang, and the delights of the sons of men to devastate and to devastate in the plural. Well, okay, just <laughs> think about, okay, let's just or to think about that for a or second. Ruin. A really good song can devastate you. That's true. That's true. I doubt that's what he's talking about, I, though. Yeah, maybe not. I but mean, the, the scholars it say it means could. a wife or a concubine or a harem. And, and I think it has to do with, with uh, ruling over um, and making people subjects or something of that nature. Uh, but it also is treasure chests and coffers. Right, and... right. Which are the spoils of, of war. When you, but Solomon lived in peace. David brought the kingdom to peace. Solomon didn't go to war. He didn't have battles to fight. He didn't have these experiences that most kings had. He lived at mm -hmm. peace his entire life. Right. So, how does his life connect to devastation and ruin? I don't know, but I can I can see a connection between concubines and vaults <laughs> because he had. Vaults of concubines. Well, How many did right. he have? Right. I mean, he and, had innumerable. And children are a great treasure, and the the mm -hmm. concubines stored up that treasure for him to. I, I don't know. It's I don't get it, especially when you start dig into the Hebrew and find out that the the root word is to deal violently with and to despoil. How yeah, does that I don't mean think women and women this. or treasures <laughs> or? Or uh, many concubines and the the lights of the sons of man. It, yeah. Oh, it's <sighs> in the Mishnah that it means a type of chest. So, yeah, this is an interesting word. And I don't know that we could ever really get to a, what it means. But it's just interesting. Clearly, that, no one really knows. Right. It's just so interesting as we're reading through. And hers says, vaults of treasures. And mine says, 
So when you get there, just kind of, I guess, impose whatever thought you want on these words. <laughs> and it's probably <laughs> just, it's, as, it's accurate just as, as accurate as accurate the rest. as what's going on. As long as it is in some way tangentially connected to despoiling or devastating someone or something. I, 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 I don't know. I don't get it. Sure. Right. So thus he became great. He increased more than all who were before him in Jerusalem. And his wisdom remained with him. All right. All that his eyes desired, he acquired. He didn't hold back. He, he took anything his heart des desired. But then he looked I, on the works of his hands. Go back to, sorry, at the end of verse 9, it says, Yet my wisdom stayed with me. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I, okay, he became far wealthier than all before him in Jerusalem. And yet, as much as he tried, he couldn't share his wisdom. Uh, either that or d despite how foolish he became, he still remained wise. Yeah, that could work too. But you think about, like, I think it is just the human inclination to want to share the knowledge that we have. To want to share the, the wisdom that we have. And yet, you know, even the, the wisest of all men can't truly share it to a point where people can it, it kind of reminds me of Taravangian. Hmm. now for our listeners we're going to have to take a little rabbit trail here so we read as a family a series of books or fantasy books one of our favorite authors brandon sanderson the way of kings or the the stormlight archive mm -hmm. in this series of books there is a a king who has made a deal with uh, a superpower that he becomes the wisest. He would he would be given what he needed in order to overcome a threat that was coming. Yeah. And the the gift that he was given was that he became hyper intelligent for one day only. And in that day he saw the future, he saw connections and then the next day he'd be a dunce, a complete idiot. And for throughout the rest of his life, he would vary on a scale of intelligence from drooling moron all the way up to extremely super intelligent. And as he was more intelligent, he noticed that when he was more intelligent, he was, he had less empathy and he was less satisfied with the way things were. Everything had to be fixed, and he knew exactly how to fix it. All you had to do was kill a certain type of people, and you could fix this particular problem. All you had to do was destroy half the city, and you could fix this particular problem. He knew how to fix it all, and he was completely dissatisfied because he couldn't do it. But then on the days when he was a dunce, he was happy. He enjoyed life he loved people he, he was share he was kind and he was he's he was kind and he yeah he could share with people he he was able to connect with people he cared about them yeah and it, the the book the the author of that book he's kind of providing a uh commentary. a commentary yeah on intelligence on how maybe it's not the greatest thing in the world and and maybe we see that here with solomon that despite his wisdom it was, in a way, a curse. Uh, he couldn't truly enjoy fall folly. He couldn't truly enjoy his life. He did his everything. His wisdom stayed with him. He did, yeah. right. He did yeah. everything he could to try to enjoy his life. But in his wisdom and his knowledge and his understanding, he realized it was all just completely futile. And I mean, even when you go back to the, I, I cheered my flesh with wine and let my heart guide me with wisdom like, right 
yet he wanted to just indulge and just do whatever, do what your heart, you know, let your heart lead you. And he couldn't. He couldn't. Yeah. yeah. Because of the, the gift of wisdom that he mm-hmm. got. So, yeah, it just really kind of reminds me of, of Teravangian. Yeah. In that. Uh, I can definitely see that. Right. Uh, moving on here in Ecclesiastes. He looked on all the works of his hands and the labor in which he had, and he saw that it was all futile. Everything he'd built, everything he'd acquired, everything he he had put together. I mean, we know people like that who, mm-hmm. who their things are their God. You don't mess up their things. You you don't scratch that that counter. You don't, you know, you it, yeah. You don't leave you a don't. mess around anywhere. Yeah, that's it's it's trying, but and it seems as if they're putting their things above what really the relationship. matters. Right, yeah. and in a way, their their things become what guide their thoughts, what guide their hearts, what guide their mind, and it's it's sad to see uh, because Solomon did that. He acquired mm-hmm. all the great things, way better than anybody any one of us could, and he recognized it's it's futile. But um, he even recognized that his wisdom was futile too, because, and that's kind of what we're getting into in this section well, is that he he does. But in verse thirteen, he sees that wisdom is indeed better than folly, as light is better than darkness. So while wisdom is futile, it is better. And while yeah. folly is is futile as well, it's worse. But your your end is the same. Right. And that's what Regard- he's getting at. Yeah, regardless of, of which you are, your end will be the same. But it is better to be wise because you'll have light as you go through and you'll know proper decisions and you'll be able to yeah. discern times and seasons and be able to to make good choices. As futile as those choices are, you'll be able to make f- good choices. Yeah, but we have idioms that say something to the effect of not knowing is bliss. or mm, Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yes, the, the idiom, ignorance is bliss. Uh, it's... Yeah, to a degree, there, I there can is? see. I can see some of that. There is some bliss to ignorance, but there's also a curse to ignorance as well. Sure, absolutely, hundred percent. So while you're happy, you're cursed. With the other one, you may not be happy, but the the curses of of poverty and the curses of of being hit upside the head by the the stone you don't see coming at you, <laughs> you know that you don't have those because you're at least aware of these things and yeah. I mean, you may not be happy because you recognize the futility of it all. That in the end, nothing really matters, as the song says. Yeah, right. Yeah, he he's recognizing that it doesn't matter your station in life. You're going to die, and it's because of that that he he it says in verse seventeen that he hated his life. Because the work that was done on it was hard. He, he yeah. looks back on his life and he says, death is coming for me. And why did I spend so much time working for all this stuff? It's it, grievous to it me. makes no sense for me to have spent so many hours. Uh, it's like the saying that, you know, nobody says on their deathbed that they wish they'd work more overtime. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of what Solomon's getting at here is, hey, I'm, I'm, nearing the end of my life and all that overtime I put in to acquire that extra peacock, boy, that didn't really serve me all that well. Why did I do that? Yep. Um, Well, and I mean, just that word grievous, it's this depression feeling. uh, 17. The depression of recognizing how pointless his whole life 
its amassing of all these things has been. Because, to a great degree, Solomon spent his entire life pursuing himself. You know? Yeah. He really did. If we read scripture accurately from, I mean, at least my perspective on it anyway, it was very much a pursuit of himself. Not a pursuit of God. Not a pursuit of making God's name great. It was making his own name great. So there was, I mean, it's worthwhile for him to kind of be depressed at the end of that. And yet I see this book as an example that he came to his senses, if you will. Right. So that that word grievous is a translator bias. Okay. Because the word's raw. Raw. It was evil. evil. It was bad. Okay. It, it was it was something that wasn't uh wasn't good. It wasn't good, yeah. So then he turned I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor under the sun. For those of you who don't know, we have been caring for my grandmother who recently passed away and we've been going through a lot of her belongings cuz my grandmother was, you know, kind of a pack rat. Um more sentimental, I guess, than anything else. Right. Just kept a lot of things that she held on to that was important to her. And going through it, and I'm going, why in the world did you keep this? It's not worth anything. And and throwing things away that to anyone besides my grandmother, it's pointless. It's futile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and seeing the amassing of things, even if those things are really of of emotional or sentimental value to you, it is grievous, if you will. That's that's a good word. Not necessarily the depression side of it, but the right. just, ugh, there's another whole box, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, why, oh, why, oh, why did she keep this receipt from Sears from 1974? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just wearisome. Mm, yeah. To see all of these things. And, you know, we went through a lot of that when we sold our house. When we downsized, and, yeah. And we had to get rid of everything. And we downsized and we threw stuff away and we put it all in storage. And then six months later, we went back through and we threw out, out more stuff. Whole, even more stuff. And then, you know, a year later, we did the same thing. I and mean, we've just done that over and over and over again right. and got, you know, like, this stuff's not serving us. Right. It's not of any value. Yeah. So uh, continuing on, verse 21, for a man might labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and yet he leaves his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. That too is futile and grieving. Now there's something interesting going on here. The type of labor he describes with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Mm. We've kind of seen this before, Mm -hmm. uh, all the way back in Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, talking about... uh, Bezalel and Oholiab, the two men who were given the the skill or wisdom by the by the spirit of God in order to build the tabernacle. Exodus thirty one three, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all work. He's commenting on even even being given these great gifts from the spirit of God to even be able to build something as amazing as the tabernacle. Even these men died, and the thing that they made passed on to others. And yet, I would think that there would be a fulfillment in building the tabernacle, because you're building that place for God to dwell in the midst of humanity. 
and even if that would be something that's that would be great to leave as a heritage for uh for your children or for for those who came later you got something i i do and if i can find it hold on because there was a proverb written by solomon about those three words and i'm sure we had a plaque of it in our house proverbs 24 3 through 4 by wisdom the house is built by understanding it is established and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches so he's speaking of laboring in all of your work in order to fill your house with things which is which is in proverbs you're right it is a good thing proverbs is very optimistic in its outlook Mm -hmm. uh, on the way of life but here at the end of his life, he's, you know, I labored with all of these things and I filled that house with all these great and wonderful, beautiful treasures. And I got to turn it over to someone else. Right. And who knows whether he's going to do good with it or evil with it. Right. It's that unknown. What is my, what are my children going to do with it? What are my three generations down the road? What kind of kids are there going to be that, are, how are they going to treat what I've left? Uh, you know, are they going to let it fall to ruin? Are they going to use it for destruction? Are they going to kill people with it? Are they going to, they're going to become absolutely vain and narcissistic because of it? I mean, who knows how, how this is all going to turn out? And yeah, that's a that's got to be the fear of every man who's leaving wealth to his children. And, and I think that the the advice that Dave Ramsey gives on on the on inheritance, I think it's good advice. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, oh, gosh, that's been years. But I think it's something to the effect of you don't just leave your kids wealth. You leave your kids the knowledge of how to deal with wealth. Or right. How so to... the way he puts how to leave an inheritance for your kids is leave enough for them to do anything they want, but not so much that they can do nothing at all. Give them enough that you're enabling them to be able to build something for themselves. But don't give them so much that they can that just you're enabling that them you're to, enabling to them to be right to, to do nothing, to be a narcissist, to be uh, ungrateful or, or, you know, prideful entitled. or whatever. Entitled. Yeah. Yeah. And I think well, that's I think that even if you leave them with with billions of dollars like we're going to do. <laughs> uh-huh, yes, um, <laughs> of course. Better watch out, kids. Uh, Here it comes. Um, <laughs> is that you need to teach your kids. Raise up a child in the way should, they should right. go. Not not just, okay, kids, have at it. No, it's like, no, y'all need to learn the value of a dollar. You need to learn the value of hard work. You need to learn yeah. what this means and not just give them stuff. Yeah, right. You don't just, hear, you're alive, so I'm going to give you an allowance. No, you need to earn well, it. As, as a young child, maybe. But uh, as they grow, I mean, there are definitely things that we do give our kids just because they're alive. We give sure. them clothing, we give them food, we give them shelter. We, well, you know, yeah. we, and we, we love them. So we you give know. them love. We, yeah, they're not owed luxuries. Well, that, they're not yes. owed an extra little stipend just because they're breathing. Right. They're not owed to be able to buy candy anytime they want. Those are the kinds of things that they need to. Earn they do, and yeah, work they do for need to understand and, that and that uh, wealth comes through just, work, right? And that uh, the government, you know, you're not just going to get a handout, right? Although in the last few years, most of us just got a handout, just because mm-hmm. we're drawing breath. Big Papa government we decided to to give us kids. all some money. Yeah. Yep. 
So anyway, that's uh, neither here nor that's there. That's neither here nor there, but uh, it is just the way it is. Uh, I think you're right, though. It, we we do need to train our kids to recognize that you know the good things come with labor. They come mm -hmm. with with work, but um, however, that only lasts one generation, right? Because we can't control what our kids teach their kids eventually. Well, there's that, or their kids, or their kids. There, there's that, but we also need to teach them the the lesson of Ecclesiastes, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks, in a couple of chapters. He actually comes to an excellent conclusion on where the balance lies between these things, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what we need to instill in them. Is yes, you need to labor in order to survive, in order to acquire things, in order to accumulate any wealth that you may want to accumulate. But don't overdo it. And I think that's really what he's getting at. Is Solomon, I think he's looking back and going, "Man, I way overdid it." Yeah. Uh, why? Why? Why did I? Why did I spend so much time pursuing these things? And he comes to this conclusion in this chapter because he says there is nothing better for people than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in their labor. This too, I perceived is from the hand of God. Right. For who can eat and who can have joy apart from him? That is the point. Like that's this initial point that he, right. he, he comes to right away. Uh, the, the one that we spoke about, spoke of in the intro, there is, you can't do there any is better. Good. There right. is good to be had in there, this world. Right. Now recognize it's futile, but don't don't give up on pleasure. Pleasure isn't evil. It's not bad. Eating, drinking, having fun with friends, you know, there, there are things that are that are enjoyable. They're gifts from God. Doing a good job to enjoy yeah. himself in his labor. It's, it's as Paul says, you know, do everything as though doing it for the Lord. Whatever you find yourself in, do it as mm -hmm. though God's commanding you, that God's the one who's given you this task to do. Right. Uh, find joy in what you do and what and how you work. Yeah, work was not part of the fall. Work was before the fall. It is Yeah. It is part of what we were made to do and we can find enjoyment in our labor on under the sun. Right. So so labor and work was before the fall. It was the the toil for survival. Mm -hmm. For the that was the curse of the fall. Is the the over oppressive toil and and frankly until technology that was the lot of man in life to toil and toil and toil and toil away for the bare subsistence. And, mm -hmm. and that's all you had. That was your life for the vast majority of human existence. We live in a day and age where we have technology that kind of does the toil for us. And we've kind of lost sight of that curse of incessant toil. Now, to be fair, there's plenty of us who still engage in the incessant toil. <laughs> uh, I, I've, known some workaholics in my life mm -hmm. uh, and that's all they know how to do and it's not that they even enjoy it they just don't know how to do anything else, do anything else they don't right. know how to be themselves apart from work they don't know and how to relax how right. to just take a break and spend time and i think that's that's the sad version of feudal right you know because right. you're amassing all of these things and all of this you might not even be amassing wealth. You're just working for the sake of working and not even necessarily taking pleasure in it. Right. And so, yeah, the last verse in this, I think it's just profound. It says, for he gives wisdom, speaking of God, he gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his eyes. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and collecting that toil that we've been speaking of. 
in order to give it to him who is good before God. That too is futile and feeding on wind. So he's drawing this conclusion between good people and evil people, that, that people who find favor in God's eyes. And we'll see that this isn't, he's not talking of prosperity gospel type thing here. It's more like Cain and Abel. And more like, or it's more like uh, Israel coming into Canaan. Uh, you know, Canaan, the the people of Canaan, they slaved away, they built cities, they built houses, they built planted vineyards, they planted, and then Israel just came in and it was theirs. And God gave it to them through because some battles and warfare. But Canaan had built it, not for Canaan, but for Israel, but for Israel, without knowing it. Right, right. And we've kind of experienced that to some degree, where things have come our way that we didn't necessarily labor for. Example? Examples. of. So I owned a computer business years right. ago. Uh, closed the computer business, just burnt out, and God was calling me to do more ministry, to to step into a more full-time type ministry position and role, uh, beginning with a whole heck of a lot of learning. Yeah. And during that time, we we didn't have a, a much at all. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have possessions. We didn't have... We had... We'd bare, sold everything. We had bare basic necessities. But during that time, I had some customers who aren't necessarily Christians, who don't believe in God, at least not, uh, they don't live for him. They may, mm -hmm. they may say they, they believe in him, but they don't live for him. Who would call me because they knew I was reliable. They knew I was good at my job. They knew I did good labor. I did good work. And when they would have things go wrong with their systems, and it seemed like there were so many times when we were on the verge of, okay, where do we get not our food? Ring. Oh, hey, uh, my computer just died, or someone just stole something. I need you to pull some cam some footage from a camera, or I just got a virus on my computer. And it would come in 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 just the right right yeah. time for us to be able for me to go to do the labor to go buy food and bring it home, and we'd be good. Yep. And it's it's kind of like this that. To the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and collecting. These people who are gathering and collecting for themselves all these good things in life. They're quite wealthy. The ones that I continued to work for were quite wealthy, and I had built relationships with them. And when I closed my business, they, they wouldn't let me go. Uh, I was too valuable a resource for them. <laughs> so I upped my prices, knowing they could pay for it. And they would, these resources that they were collecting for themselves would then be handed over to me because something happened on their computer you mm -hmm. know they they made a stupid mistake they answered that call from microsoft and allowed the guy <laughs> on their computer and suddenly their their bank accounts being hit. a thunderstorm yeah it comes PC along and burns dead. the burns the the power supply you know it's just uh, it has happened cpu not pcu wow right yeah so yeah it, i kind of see that those experiences as like this verse light uh, it's a light experience of this where these wealthy people were gathering for themselves and, and God was using that to supply for us when we were in a, a state of need. Mm -hmm. um, or the, the fact that when we moved into the trailer, the lady, I don't know her state before God in any way, shape or form, but she had paid the entire month right. for us. And then left. Right. Left in the middle it of the month. And when we 
paid we, up till the end of yeah, the month. We so we didn't were able have to, to move pay. in with, without having to pay for half a month, which was something we desperately needed at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, many we, times God seen, has done that for us. Yeah. Stuff like that has, has definitely happened for us. And it happens on different scales and you just have to be aware and recognize and, and just watch and look at your life. And I think that's kind of where we're going to end for today is this, this idea that God does care for his people. And often he does so through people who don't believe. He cares for his children through the unbeliever as they pursue wind, as they seek wealth, as they seek the physical goods of life. It's only so that it can be handed over to his people when they're in need. At the right time. At the right time. At God's time. Right. Yeah. So. But we also need to kind of tie it up with what it says at the, the beginning of that section where it's talking about, you know, find enjoyment. Yes. In your labor. Find enjoyment in hanging out with your friends and eating and drinking. Right. But make sure that it's. It about God. Make sure it doesn't become the thing. Yeah. Make sure that you keep God first. Right. That he's present in those situations. That you're eating and drinking with your friends, but that God is there. That you're working at your job or, you know, in your right. entrepreneurship or whatever, but you're doing it for God. Yeah. That is a... That's probably a better ending than the one i had so uh with that yeah we'll go ahead and close it off for this week next week uh, chapter three and we'll see you then so until then and all you do seek, seek life. life shalom thank you for tuning in to Darish kai if you would like to find out more or support this ministry head over to seeklifesc.com that's seeklifesc.com we'll see you again next time as we Darish kai as we seek life. Shalom.